Howdy, this is the Rage, a story of survival podcast, and I'm your host, Dane Green. Thank you for listening, and this is episode four, where we're going to read chapter four, uh, which introduces a new character to the book named Brian. Brian is one of my favorites, and I hope you enjoy him as well. Anyway, chapter four, Brian, May 10th. My eyes open, and the dreams I was having fade into forgotten memories. As I roll over, a part of me wishes I could go back to sleep. A sigh of frustration escapes my lips as I turn over to look out my bedroom window. Through the window, I see the sundial I set up for this exact purpose. The sundial tells me it's around 5.30 in the morning. Though I'm a little frustrated that I'll be the only one up this early, I do enjoy the solitude. As I roll out of bed, I grab the set of clothes I laid out the night before. The pile is missing socks, so I walk over to my dresser to grab them. I pull open my sock drawer and panic when I see a gun. It takes me a second, but I remember that it should be there. The gun scares me, but I know it's a good idea to have it. My parents and sister still have no idea that it's here. Three months ago, Aaron gave it to me, and I've kept it a secret since. My parents haven't been able to cope with what's happened. If they knew I had a gun, they'd try to take it from me and give it to a police officer. In their minds, they think nothing has changed in the world since the power went out. I don't understand how they can still believe that the power will come back on in only a few days. My parents' refusal to face reality has confined my sister and me to our house. They've refused to let anyone come over except for Aaron, and that's only because he's a police officer. Aaron is the only connection to the outside world that my sister and I have. Pulling myself out of my thoughts, I take another glance at the sundial and see that it's now seven. There are chores that need to be done, so I finish getting dressed and leave my room. The first chore is lighting the fire for breakfast and coffee. I get to work gathering wood and starting the fire on our makeshift wood stove. It's a shame that the food we'll be eating wasn't earned. My parents' refusal to go outside has prevented us from helping our community recover. Every day, the moral burden of being a societal leech grows heavier. We're lucky to be in a community that's willing to help all its members. It would have been better for me and my family to have been thrown out of the town. If we were, my parents would face reality, or at least I hope they would. When the fire is almost ready, I hear someone walking through the house. Looking towards the origin of the noise, I see my sister, Alexis, has woken up. Morning. Are mom and dad up yet? She asks. Having not seen either of my parents, I shake my head. Not yet. My sister nods, and I know she isn't surprised. Alexis comes closer to the fire and grabs a cup of still cold instant coffee. I wish mom and dad would figure out that we aren't getting power back, she says. We need to move on and do something useful. Being confined to this house is driving me crazy. It's pointless to cower in a house and wait for things to get back to normal. Power is gone and it isn't coming back. I don't know how much longer I can take care of mom and dad. As my sister rants at me, I watch her. I know she isn't looking for input. She never does, or at least she doesn't expect it from me. It isn't that I don't agree with her. I do. Short of abandoning my parents, I don't see anything else we can do. Alexis and I could manage on our own, but I can't leave my parents the way they are. 
Without us, their lives would fall apart, leaving them to fall even deeper into their depression. Alexis's string of complaints comes to a halt when someone opens the basement door. My parents live downstairs, so I figure it's them getting up. When I turn to look, I see my mother. She enters the kitchen with her head down. She looks like a defeated dog, sad and hopeless. Anger flares in me for a second before I remind myself that she isn't acting like this to hurt me. My mother is defeated. She may never find the courage to admit that to herself, but I wish she would. If she did, we could all move on with our lives. I can feel Alexis's anger from across the room, and it's directed towards my mother. Unlike me, Alexis tends to wear her emotions on her sleeve. I'm not the same, since I figure all emotions do is get in the way of things, something I believed even before the world went to shit. My mother starts cooking silently, and Alexis leaves the kitchen in a huff. She moves into the living room, and I follow her. Staying in the same room as my silent mother is too uncomfortable. As I walk into the living room, I see Alexis reading and decide that reading sounds nice. Choosing one of my favorite fiction books, I find myself lost in its pages. My immersion is shattered when my mom calls us to breakfast. As I set the book down, my escape from reality broken, a pang of regret goes through me. My sister and I make our way to the kitchen. When I enter, I see the table set up and my father sitting at the head. Alexis and I sit down, and my mother joins us a second later. Throughout the meal, no one speaks. As everyone finishes breakfast, my mother finally breaks the silence. Your father and I are going to be doing some renovating in the basement. Could you and Alexis please organize and document our food and supplies? Yes, we will get to it after dishes. My sister shoots me a poisonous stare as she stands up and walks out the door. Alexis and I have been doing dishes outside lately. We told our parents it was less messy to do it by the outside faucet. The truth is, we were desperate for fresh air and some small sliver of freedom. My mom has asked us to organize the food and supplies three separate times this week, so I understand my sister's frustration with the pointless task. It's nice to have something to do, but doing the same thing almost every day is absurd. My parents stare at me as I gather dishes, and I'm glad when I finally walk outside and away from their gazes. Once outside, I find Alexis with the dishwater ready to go. We clean the dishes, and she vents her frustration and anger to me. Normally, I don't mind her venting. I understand her need to express her frustration. Today, though, I wish she would be quiet so I can enjoy the sun and air. After we finish clearing all the dishes, we go inside to start organizing our supplies. Neither of us are in the mood to work fast, so we finish our job very slowly. The first few times we organized supplies, it took us an hour. We've done it so often now, though, that we get distracted. That's why I'm not that surprised when I check the sundial and find that it's around 7 p.m. Wanting to finish for the day, I complete the rest of our list. After I do, Alexis suggests we go to my room and play a game. Part of me wants to continue reading the book from earlier, but I figure I should spend some time with Alexis. We both walk to my room and I pull out a card game. We manage to set it up, but stop playing when we hear a loud slam. What was that? Alexis hisses with frenzied voice. Signaling her to be quiet, I motion that I'm going to check it out. 
During his last visit, Aaron told me about some house raids that happened not too long ago. Since my house is in the middle of town, I never thought it would be a target. Making my way to the front door, I prepare myself for the worst. When I reach the door, I freeze at the horrific sight of what's in front of me. The front door of my home lies broken, smashed inward and resting only on the bottom hinge. In the doorway are several people with pale skin and blood-red eyes. Most of the creatures are bleeding from tears or gashes on their arms, necks, and faces. Instincts kick in and I run back to my room and slam the door shut. Alexis, help me block the door! Alexis looks at me and I can tell she's both confused and scared. Dragging my desk towards the door, I'm joined by Alexis. As we slide the desk into place, something starts slamming against the door. I'm pretty sure the door will hold for a little while, and I think we're safe until I hear the shattering of glass behind me. How can I not think of the window? My head turns towards the noise as I ask myself this. When I've turned around, I see a horrific figure trying to climb through the window. His hands rest on shards of glass, and as he tries to pull himself through, his skin ruptures. Blood trickles from his hands and onto the floor. He doesn't even take notice. Everything slows down as I realize that these things aren't human anymore. Doubt fills my mind, but something in my gut tells me I'm right. Whatever these things are, their only goal seems to be attacking us. Out of the corner of my eye, I see a wooden chair. Having no better weapon and not wanting to be a victim, I grab the chair. I run forward and swing it at the pale creature coming through my window. The chair slams into the man, and the recoil from the impact splinters the chair apart. Still needing a weapon, I grab one of the pieces and try using it to attack the man. My fear of hurting another living being vanishes. An instinct to protect myself and my sister overtakes it. Over and over I hit the man until he lies still in a bruised, bleeding, and broken mess. Closing my eyes, I prepare myself to fight the men outside my room. As I turn around, I hear the door open. Stunned, I ask myself if Alexis has somehow found the gun hidden in my drawer and is planning to fight. Then I realize my own stupidity. Why was I ready to fight these things with a chair leg when I had a gun in my drawer the whole time? No time to get it now. I have to face whatever's coming into my room. When I look through the door, instead of seeing a pale horror, I see Aaron. He's standing in the doorway, holding a hatchet in one hand and a combat knife in the other. At his feet are three dead creatures. His clothes and face are covered in blood. A reassuring sight at this moment. As I'm looking at Aaron, my sister runs over and hugs him. Taken aback, I remain frozen, confused about what's going on. Surrounded by the three dead creatures, my sister and Aaron stand in the doorway. How can they stand there like nothing happened? This man is strong, and I need to be like him. No more hiding, no more pretending. If the world changes, the only way to survive is to change with it. Aaron, thanks. I managed to mutter. Whatever is going on, Aaron wouldn't be here without a plan. Before I can process much more, I remember that my parents are downstairs. Let's go get my parents. They're downstairs. Aaron looks at me and replies, All right. After we get them, I know of somewhere safe we can go. Also, stay quiet. The pale men react to sound. Aaron's description of the creatures as pale men tells me that these things are everywhere. It also tells me that he doesn't see them as human. 
A weight I didn't realize I was carrying falls off my shoulders. I'm not a murderer. The thing I bludgeoned to death wasn't human. True, I suspected that it wasn't human, but having someone reassure me makes me feel much better. A sigh escapes me, and I grab my gun before following Aaron and my sister. We walk through the house in a line, Aaron leading and me guarding the back. Just when I was starting to hope that all the palemen left, we make it to the basement stairs, and my hopes are dashed. The stairwell to the basement is full of the palemen, their bodies wriggling against each other as they try to break through my parents' door. There's no counting the number in the wriggling mass. Even by my best estimates, I would have to say there are twenty or more. The sight of the squirming pale bodies mesmerizes me and fills me with dread. The bodies move in an almost symbiotic fashion, like they're communicating with each other. They've joined as a single working organism, one helping the other. As I watch, I try to understand them. I don't come out of the trance until I feel a tap on my shoulder. When I turn, I see Aaron and my sister signaling for me to come outside. Naturally, I follow them. Once we're outside and out of earshot of the Paleman Horde, Aaron says, You two get on the roof and stay silent. I'm going to create a diversion and lead the Paleman away. The Paleman aren't agile, so I can lose them if I run. Aaron's plan sounds solid. I nod and grab Alexis's hand and walk to the nearby air conditioner. As I help Alexis get to the roof, Aaron goes back inside. Once Alexis is up, I pull my gun out and speak to her. Watch Aaron from up there. You should be able to see his path. I'm going to stay down here and take care of any palemen that stay behind after his diversion. Alexis looks like she's about to argue, but before she can, several loud cracks of gunfire silence her. My gaze moves to the front door, and I see Aaron running, followed by a horde of palemen. Not wanting to attract attention, I remain still and silent until the palemen and Aaron are out of sight. Once I'm sure it's safe to move, I make my way into my house, ready for the worst. Luckily, Aaron's diversion worked well. Three palemen are all that remain on the basement stairs. From my vantage point, it's easy to see that all three sustain wounds from Aaron's attack. The cold steel of the pistol in my hands is comforting. Even though I know I can't use it, if what Aaron said about the palemen's reaction to sound is true. Shooting these three would only draw on more. If I'm going to kill them, it will have to be silent. As I start to plan, I look at my three adversaries. Two of the three palemen are on the ground. They lie at the bottom of the stairs, one with a leg wound and the other with a stomach wound. The one with the stomach wound lies on top of the one with the leg wound. The third paleman stands facing the basement door. He's a few steps up, but when I watch him, I see that his right side is limp and unresponsive. Trying my hardest to be quiet, I sneak towards the standing paleman. Fortunately, he's several feet away from the other two. Once I'm behind him, I swing the butt of my pistol into his temple as hard as I can. The impact of the blow shakes my arm and the paleman falls to the floor. Not wanting to risk a surprise attack, I examine the now unconscious paleman. As I do, I hear moans from the other two. When I look at them, though, I see that they're unable to move towards me, so I choose to ignore them for now. 
Moving my hand over the unconscious paleman's mouth, I find it breathing. Whatever happened to make these things the way they are, they're still alive. When I check for a pulse, I find one. So I sit down next to the creature and think for a minute. Strangulation would be the easiest way to terminate these creatures without making noise. Since I've never strangled anyone before, it takes me a little while to find the unconscious creature's windpipe. Since I've never strangled anyone before, it takes me a little while to find the unconscious creature's windpipe. The act of strangling something should affect me, but it doesn't. I feel nothing as the creature struggles and stops moving. I check the creature's pulse to make sure it's dead. After confirming it is, I move on to the other two and dispatch them in the same manner. A sense of calm envelops me now, and I know these creatures are mortal. With the creatures dead, my focus shifts to my parents. I go to open their door and find it unlocked. The fact that the paleman couldn't turn a doorknob tells me they've lost their problem-solving abilities. It also tells me my parents are idiots. Who wouldn't lock a door when there's a home invasion? When the door swings open, the first thing I see is my parents cowering in the corner, waiting for their deaths. Any respect I had left for them vanishes. Fear I can understand, but cowardice to this extent is pathetic. Finally, I understand that they've given up. They gave up shortly after the power went out. Ever since then, they've waited for someone to save them or for death. There's no way I can respect someone who's cowered for that long. Even though I still love my parents, I know that I don't want to be trapped under their fear anymore. If they go, I'll take them to safety, but that will be the end of my responsibility to them. Never again will I stay still and rely on others to help. I'll leave this house tonight with or without my parents. You're safe. It's time to get up and get out of here. As I'm saying this, my parents look at me standing. Without waiting, I turn around and start walking up the stairs, avoiding the bodies of the dead creatures. Before I reach the top, someone puts a hand on my back. Brian! Why do you have a gun? Give the gun to your father, Brian! Brian! Did you kill these people? My mother's questions shock me. Do they not see these creatures for what they are? My anger and disappointment in them silence me. My parents should be comforting me right now, not the other way around. My thoughts are interrupted when I hear a cough. I move my body and throw my arm and head towards the source of the noise. I ready my trigger finger, but stop myself when I see the noise is Aaron, not a paleman. Are we a bit trigger happy there? Aaron asks as I attempt to calm down and catch my breath. I lower the gun and close my eyes for a second, reminding myself that everyone's safe and this could have gone much worse. Aaron's plan worked well and we need to leave before something can go wrong. Only now do I realize how I can convince my parents to leave the house. They see Aaron as an authority figure and there's a good chance that they'll listen to him if he tells them to leave. Hey Aaron, what's going on? Well, something horrible has happened, and I was in the neighborhood. So I wanted to make sure you guys were okay. Now that I know you're safe, I can head back home. My family and a few others set up a secure place. You guys should come with me. It's much safer there. I'll go tell Alexis that it's okay to come inside. Your family can make a decision after she gets here. 
Keep in mind that noise will lead more here, so one way or the other, you need to hurry. Thank you, Aaron. Aaron turns around and walks out the door. Once I lose sight of him, I turn around and walk to the downstairs couch. I sit down, but my parents remain standing. A tense silence fills the room until Alexis joins us. She doesn't even make it to the couch before my mother starts. I don't care what Aaron said. We're going to stay here. It would be foolish to go out into the riot. All I can do is stare at my mother in shock. She looks angry, like she made up her mind. Behind my mom, my father nods in agreement with it. I'm done with both of you, I want to say. Looking at Alexis, I know she feels the same. Before I can tell them my thoughts, though, my mom continues. Brian, I want you to give the gun to your father. He'll get rid of it and we'll wait for the authorities to help us. There's no question in my mind anymore. I'm leaving, and if they follow, so be it. Mom, the gun is mine, and I'm leaving. If you want to come with Alexis and me, you can. My mother's face changes from one of anger to one of betrayal, but I don't feel sad. Her decision no longer has any bearing on me. If I don't leave now, I know I'll die. Deep down, it hurts me that my mother feels betrayed, but I know what I have to do. I just hope that my readiness to leave convinces Mom to come along. Without another word, I stand up and start walking to the stairs. Alexis looks at me in disbelief. Usually, she's the one to face my parents, so I understand her shock. She snaps out of it, though. Alexis quickly turns around, walks up the stairs, and goes out the door. Following behind her, I leave the basement and my broken parents. Once out my front door, I see Aaron smiling at me. I'm about to speak when I hear some voices behind me. How do we know we'll be safe? The voice makes me turn around, and when I do, I see my mother. Their decision to come shocks me, but I lock eyes with her. I can see that she's angry. Not wanting to fight with her, I turn around. Sorry, but I can't promise you safety, Aaron says. What's going on right now is very dangerous. You have a chance of getting hurt or dying if you come with me. If you stay here, though, I promise that you'll die. Where we're going is large enough for several families. Once it's secured, it'll be the safest place in town. We don't have time for this, though. We need to get there soon. Grab any supplies you can carry and come with me. Aaron's suggestion makes me realize that we'll need food and other supplies to stay safe for any amount of time. For once, I'm thankful that my mother forced us to count supplies almost every day. Because she did, packing away all our clothes, foods, and medical supplies takes mere minutes. From now on, I'll always keep a close eye on supplies. After we pack, we leave the house and follow Aaron through town to a large abandoned building. Several times, Alexis stifles my mother's cries. The city burns and the pale men walk all around. The only reason my parents make it through is their cowardice. Their willingness to follow when scared amazes me. When we make it to our destination, I get a good look at the building we're going to stay in. From the look of things, it has two floors. The first floor consists of a glass-walled shop, empty of anything. Inside the store, I see a set of stairs, but notice that they aren't long enough to reach the second floor. The stairs must lead to some kind of storage space. 
From what I can tell, the second floor is an apartment. The only way up to the second floor is through a doorway to the side of the storefront. Something tells me the second floor is where we'll be staying. We open the door, and sure enough, wind stairs lead to an upstairs apartment. The space is large enough that I know we'll be comfortable with one or two families. It isn't long before Aaron's friend Jason approaches me. He explains the plans to break apart the stairs. That way, the only way to reach the second floor is by using a ladder. The plan seems like a good one since the apartment is so high up. You'd have to be a skilled and agile climber to make it up here without a ladder or stairs. After hearing about the plan, I'm anxious to help. It feels good to focus my mind on something other than what's going on. It takes several days to destroy the stairs. While I work, idle talk catches me up on everything that's happened. Every day that passes confirms that my choice was the right one. The chaos I see outside through the upstairs window tells me that if we'd stayed in our home, we would have died. My father and mother carve out a place to hide in the apartment, and I haven't spoken to them since we arrived. They're still angry with me, I imagine, but I don't care. Even if they hate me, so be it. They're alive, and so am I. Even better, I'm finally free of their constrictive grasp and free to make my own choices. This has been the Rage of Story of Survival podcast. Thank you for listening, and I hope to see you next week. Hey, you still with me? If you listen this far into the podcast, you must have enjoyed my content. If you enjoy my work and what I am doing here, you should check out the bonus episode of this series. It is the intro to the next book I am writing. If you want to learn more, you should come listen to it and check it out.